Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of Internal Budget. As always, Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver 7 Sends, here with you. And folks, do we ever have a stacked weekend of Senators content coming up leading into the 2020 NHL entry draft? Today on the show, he has been the TSN Ottawa Bureau reporter for 22 years, and he is the owner of one of the best and most famous sign-offs in sports media today. Uh, that's something we talked about a little bit near the end of the show, so make sure you stick around for that. But other than that, we talked about Bobby Ryan, we talked about the Senators' needs going forward, we talked about the NHL draft. There's so much going on in Sensland right now, there was no shortage of conversational topics, so please give it up for TSN's Brent Wallace. TSN Ottawa Bureau reporter since 1998, which is also the year I was born. Brent oh. Wallace, <laughs> thank you for doing this today. This interview is over. <laughs> Chief shot right out of the gate. Uh, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it, and I know the listeners are really excited to hear from you. So this this means a lot. Thank you. Absolutely, I'm excited. So there's a ton to talk about uh, in Ottawa Senators land right now. I guess the first thing we should address, uh, and we were we were just talking about it before we started uh, before we started the show, was Bobby Ryan. Uh, for me, and I think this was the general sense among everybody, was that that decision came out of nowhere. Did it come as a surprise to you that they were buying out Ryan's contract? Uh, absolutely, and, and I think Bobby really summed it up best by you know, he was shocked. And so normally. Players get some kind of indication that this is going to transpire. We saw it with Henrik Lundqvist. We knew that there was a lot of talk about it before it happened. With Bobby, there was utter shock and obviously disappointment for him. He was excited to come back. He had grown into this, I guess, call it a love affair with the Ottawa fans after how well he had been treated uh, throughout his treatment for alcoholism. So he was excited to get back to a fresh start. Uh, he really felt good going into this upcoming season and now he gets almost his feet taken out from under him. But let's go back a little bit. If this was a year ago and this happened, no one's really going to say too much about it. And people would be like, oh, that's a good business decision by the Ottawa Senators. But with him winning the Masterton and all he had gone through, it certainly served as a bit of a shock. And of course, with them getting rid of basically all their veterans in Anderson, Pajot, Borvietsky, and Ryan, there's not a whole lot in that locker room to be able to really get behind and learn to learn the ropes, if you will, from a veteran group. So the Bobby Ryan one certainly came as a shock, but it shouldn't be that much of a surprise based on his game on the ice. And I think, and you probably can't blame people for thinking this, but there was a lot of speculation that this was purely a financial move to, to save that $3.6 million a year. Did it strike you as a cost-cutting measure, or do you believe that the Senators did it for like legitimate hockey reasons? I think it's both. Listen, we're in an unprecedented time of COVID and we have no idea how this is all going to play out. So cutting costs, absolutely. Like I don't really have a problem with them trying to do that now. They've certainly laid off an, a whole lot of staff and a lot of people have lost jobs over this. So trying to save 
$3 million, I don't have a problem with. The other side of it, of course, is where is he going to play? Is he a top six forward? Do you pay a guy $7.2 million to play third, fourth line minutes? Where does he fit in the lineup? And I'm not sure right now with the way that they're headed is that there's a spot for him in the top six, which is where he should be. And so I can see them doing it for financial reasons, no question. But, of course, you have to look at his play on the ice. Only, I think, 39 goals in the previous three seasons before the last one that, you know what, it's time perhaps to move on. And and maybe it's a great thing for for Bobby Ryan to have a fresh start somewhere else where he can now just start to play hockey and, and I guess, really uh, find his game once again. You talked a little bit about how there's going to be this kind of lack of veteran presence on the team now, especially that those guys like Ryan Anderson and Borbietsky are gone. We know that the Senators are probably going to make some moves. They have all the cap space in the world. They have a wealth of draft picks. Do you see them targeting anyone in particular in the offseason, or is it one of those things where it's just a total crapshoot and you have no idea? Great question. I don't know who they're going to tra- They need veterans in the lineup. I, there's no way that they don't make some moves to add some people. They need a veteran up front. They need probably a veteran on the blue line. And what they do at goal in goaltending situation will certainly be something to keep an eye on because I think that is a key area that needs to get addressed and we can get into it later. But veterans somehow. So they're likely going to have to make some moves, uh, I think, to acquire veterans. I mean, they can do it in the free agent market, but with all those picks, there's likely a way that they can probably pick up some better and free better free agents by moving around some of those draft picks. There's no way the Ottawa Senators draft 13 players. I'd be utterly shocked if they fill all those spots uh, on the upcoming draft. I'm glad you brought up the goalie thing because like you said the other day, I think it was on TSN radio when uh, with that the Senators can't go into this season with their current goaltending situation with the health of Anders Nilsson being a question mark and still not quite knowing what they have in Marcus Hogberg. We've heard names thrown around like Matt Murray and Darcy Kemper. What do you think the price tags are for those guys? And do you think it's something the Senators are willing to pay? Great question on the price tag. It's going to come down as we get closer and closer to whether it's free agency or whether it's the draft. It'll certainly be a a different kind of price tag put on either acquiring rights or eventually signing them as a free agent. I really like perhaps going after someone like Matt Murray. Listen, they need to get a number one goaltender. Anders Nielsen may not be able to play, and I'm not sure he's a number one goalie to begin with. Add to that, Anders Ho- or, uh, Marcus Hogberg, I'm not sure he's a number one goalie either, and he hasn't got a whole lot of experience under him. So to throw him to the Wolves with a complete young lineup right now is what it looks like, and especially on that blue line, he'll get eaten alive. So they've got to find someone to come in. And I'm not sure Marcus Hogberg right now is their goalie of the future either. I think... We're missing perhaps, it's probably Joey Decord. The organization seems really high on Joey Decord to come in and eventually be that guy. They've got a glut of goalies that I think they think are good backups. No one really is a solid number one goalie for six, seven, eight years for this organization. So uh, until they can probably get Joey Decord up to speed, I think they've got to find a veteran. And that could be a Matt Murray for two years, or it could be someone else. But Matt Murray knows how to win. Yes, he has struggled in Pittsburgh but I really like what he's been able to do. He's got a great demeanor. I think he'd be great in the lineup. Now, there's been speculation with regards to Murray especially that Jim Rutherford wants a first-round pick for him. Um, And there's even been talk that he wants a higher-end first-round pick. 
Is that a premium that Pierre Dorian will pay for Matt Murray, or will he switch gears to like a Darcy Kemper and say, this is out of our price range? There's no way, there's no need to do it. There's so many free agent goalies in this year's market. Why would you even bother considering it if you're looking to build? You can get somebody else. And I, God, I can't even remember the, I know there's six or seven, I think, free agent goalies that are pretty good number ones, or at least could fill that spot in Ottawa until they can really start to get their own number one. But I, I don't, there's no way they pay a high price to get Matt Murray. I'd be shocked. Um, and especially with basically Pierre Dorian saying, you know what? I know we kind of threw it out that we might entertain the fifth fifth overall pick being moved, but he's pretty sure he's going to be set on taking both guys. It, it definitely is important to find that starting netminder with the current situation. But when you look at the rest of this lineup, there's no number one center yet. They're lacking on the right wing. They have... They're pretty thin and in terms of right-handed defensemen. Is goaltending the most pressing need in your mind, or is it that number one center, or is it that right-handed D-man, or is it depth on the wing? Is there an all of the above? <laughs> that's probably uh, a good point. <laughs> they, I, they, you got to start in goal, because if this is a young team that's going to create turnovers and is going to end up with a whole lot of time in their own end, they just need a solid guy that's going to be in that net who can, A, take a lot of work, and B, not get upset if games get out of hand, I really think Craig Anderson would probably be a great answer to that. I, I really liked the way, especially last year he played basically the Sens played that way last year with him and goal. Um, I, listen, they want to move on from Craig fine, but I, I think that was, that's probably the guy that you need someone like that. So Darcy Kemper could be a perfect example for that. So starting goal, and then you got to start to everything coming out. So you got to come find a blue liner who's veteran on that right side, if you can, they just need some presence there. And then you're right. They are so thin down the middle. They need to find a number one center, really. And and not only do they need to find a number one center who can just play, they need to find a number one center who can teach Josh Norris or someone else in that lineup of how they're going to play uh, in the future to try and be that number one guy in Ottawa. So pivoting to that kind of conversation about the center then, I think that's really interesting because all the talk that we've heard is that the senators are going to find – their number one center through the draft. It's going to be Quinton Byfield or it's going to be Tim Stutzel. But you're saying they need a more veteran guy. So do you think that um, maybe it's a situation where the number one center for right now needs to be filled by a, by a more mature guy, maybe like an Anthony Sorelli from Tampa? Or can they throw one of Byfield or Stutzel right into that role and run with this current core that they have? If they they don't even know if they want Stutzla on the wing or at center, or if he can play at center in the NHL, which is not a knock on him. It's just a completely different game at the NHL level. I listen, Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla at one and two. You can't go into the NHL with those two guys being your top two centers. You're just going to get eaten alive. The game is played through the middle of the ice right now. They need to have. Listen, Kyle Turris would be a good example. I know they're not bringing back Kyle Turris, but someone of that ilk who can play a number one center and still teach guys. They need some teachers in that group. And I, I, I don't see Quentin Byfield coming in and being a number one center right away. Like we're not talking Alexi Lafreniere here. I mean, they need to have a veteran guy. I just don't see these young 19 year, 20 year olds being the one, two punch for the Ottawa senators. It's just not going to work for them to be anywhere near successful. I know they're not expecting a playoff spot, despite this being year one of unprecedented success for five years, I think it is. Um, that's not the case, but they need to have somebody to at least be able to compete on a nightly basis. This is a very, very thin lineup. 
We've heard a lot, I think probably for years now, that the Senators should weaponize their cap space. Uh, whether or not they will, that remains to be seen. But when there's when the financial situation across the league right now is so complicated and there's going to be teams that are forced to move guys that they maybe wouldn't move otherwise, do you maybe foresee an Anthony Sorelli type coming to Ottawa? Or do you think maybe it's a situation where they trade for Arizona and they take on like a Derek Stepan contract to kind of play that top six center role for a year or two? I, it's a great question, Brendan, because I – I like Anthony Shirelli, and uh, he was just at the World Championships. God, I'm going to get my years all mixed up because of the way COVID has played out. But two years ago at the World Championships, uh, he was very good. And then people just didn't realize at the time how good he was. But I got a chance to see him play at that level. Is he a number one center? I'm not sure. I, I, I think they really need to have a solid veteran. Um, when you look at what, I mean, look at the two teams that just won the Stanley Cup. And by far, I'm not saying the Ottawa Senators are going to win the Stanley Cup. But look at how deep they are at basically every position, which they're loaded with veterans. They've got guys every, all around them that can play. And Ottawa just isn't anywhere close to that. So I, I don't think Anthony Sorelli – Anthony Sorelli looks good as a number three center. I'm not sure he looks really good as a number one center. And we've seen that before where they have these – players have breakout years. They get sent to a different organization and play a role they're not really going to succeed at. And I'm not sure he's there ready yet to be a number one guy. Well, we had guys like Kyle Turris here a couple of years ago who you mentioned and Pajot who who were kind of forced to play that number one center role. And no, and nobody expected them to come out and score 90 points a year, but they fulfilled their role well. Like Kyle Turris at one point, I think, was one of the better two-way 1B centers in the NHL. Could Sorelli kind of be that guy if if he ended up in Ottawa Do you, or for a couple of years and maybe a Byfield or a Stutzel or a Norris kind of overtakes him after a, a couple more years of seasoning? I don't, I think he's got to be surrounded by players in order to do that. I, and I know a center is typically their job is to make guys around them better. I'm just not sure that he's surrounded with enough talent to really have that kind of impact yet. He's young. He's fun to watch. Uh, he's a strong two-way player. I just think he's playing above his weight class in that spot. Yeah, probably a product of that Tampa team and that system, right, where they can just roll four lines at you and 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 beat whoever on any given night. Like same in Pittsburgh. I mean, yeah, teams that are really deep at center, you can see how successful they are. Yeah, I wrote a piece the other day for for Silver Seven, um, kind of pivoting the conversation a little more towards the draft, uh, and I kind of and I analyzed the top five picks that the Senators have taken throughout the years. There's been seven since since they came into the league. And the guy I really identified that they need to kind of replicate, if they can, is a Jason Spezza. And obviously that's easier said than done. But they need a center. They need a guy who can drive play. They need that point-of-game guy. Uh, Brady Kachuk looks amazing. I, 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 I believe he has the potential, based on his advanced metrics, to be that kind of point-of-game winger. But he needs help. Uh, Drake, Drake Batherson, I think, is a bona fide top six forward um, in terms of potential anyway. Uh, do you kind of agree with that assessment? I, I know it's easy to say that they need to go get a Jason Spezza, but is that the kind of player you'd be you'd be looking at getting in the draft? Uh, I mean, you you wouldn't go wrong, certainly if you got someone of, of his play. Like Jason Spezza is one of the few players, and I've covered this team as you said since '98, so whatever that is, 23 years. One of the few players, probably him and Eric Carlson, where I would pay to watch 
because you saw how good they were and you weren't sure what they were going to do on the ice. Now, some people be like, yes, he would turn the puck over at the blue line. Okay, sure. But he also made some hell of great passes. Like that guy was amazing and fun to watch. And so if they could find a Jason Spezzer, sure. Is Quentin Byfield that guy? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if Tim Stutzla is either. But you talk about like uh, Brady Kachuk and maybe Drake Batherson. Sure, he's projected to be. But I mean, at some point, Drake has to make this jump to the NHL work here. Um, I, I, I think like the perfect guy they could have right now in their lineup, and this is where everybody will get mad at me, is Mark Stone, right? Like Mark Stone would be the perfect guy to have in this roster right now as a veteran, as a guy who would be great on the wing alongside Brady Kachuk, as we saw when he was here for that one year. Uh, that's the type of guy I really think they need. But when, if you're drafting – I don't think you go wrong at either Stutzla or Quentin Byfield, but I don't know how long it's going to take for either one of them to be into the NHL. And even Trent Mann, the head scout, said the other day that Byfield, it wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be upset if he went back to junior because he's not sure he's completely ready to play in the NHL. Now, when the NHL resumes and how much Byfield has changed since the last time they saw him play or whatever could change. But as of right now, I would project that Byfield would be back in junior for next season. They rave about Byfield in Sudbury. I, I'm born and raised in Sudbury, so I have a, I have a lot of connections to back home. And uh, I spoke with the GM of the Sudbury Wolves, Rob Papineau, and he said he, if he were drafting first overall, he would take Byfield over Lafreniere, um, just based on potential, right? Uh, but again, like we kind of see this conversation keep going back to that veteran leadership, and, and I totally agree with your what you're saying about Mark Stone. I think to me that guy was the captain. That that was your that was your Daniel Alfredson guy, um, and especially what we were talking about before with their thin situation on the right side, they don't have a lot in the way of prospects on the right side of the ice. Do you think they're kind of making a mistake then with the way they're going about this rebuild? Do you think they're they're neglecting uh, the veteran leadership aspect too much, or yes. do you think they're doing? Oh, there you go. <laughs> like without question, I listen. They've had, and I've lost track of the number, and I should have dug it up before. Is the number of players who have played for the Ottawa Senators or to make their Senators debut in the last two years. And it's, well, it's well over 22. I, it might be in the 30s. I can't remember. Like, okay, it's great to keep putting these players in the lineup, but they're not winning you hockey games. And for the last three years, you've finished 29th or worse. At some point, you've got to put players in the lineup that can play in the NHL on a consistent basis. And Ottawa doesn't have that. So now we're going to draft 13 guys maybe. Not likely, but they're going to have a whole bunch of these guys are never going to play in the NHL. There's no spot for them with everybody the same age. They've got to start to spread this out. You got to start to move some guys out and some bring some guys in that can play. We always talk about how great they are in depth down in the farm. Well, that farm has got to play in the NHL at some point. Those players in Belleville have got to step up. Drake Batherson should, should have taken a step forward this year. I'm not sure he did in the NHL. Logan Brown wasn't even mentioned when Trent Mann the other day spoke about the depth he has at center. It was Shane Pinto. I think they're looking at those guys. I think I'm not sure that Logan Brown's time is is ever going to come with the Ottawa Senators. Like there's a bunch of guys we keep talking about, but they're not likely to play in the NHL. Are they going to have impacts? I'm not sure. So they've got to find some players to play in this lineup, and that they really need to find some veterans to fill holes. I definitely agree. I, I think they do 100% need to insulate these young players. The one area where you and I might differ is I, I, I thought personally in his second call-up this year, Batherson took a noticeable step forward. 
maybe the point totals weren't there how he liked, but he looked more confident on the puck. He was using his frame, his physicality a little more. And I, I personally, just based on the eye test, I was impressed by what I saw. As far as Logan Brown goes, that's a really interesting conversation because he's a guy who, when he first got called up, he looked really good. Uh, and then the wheels kind of fell off near the end, and it seemed apparent that DJ Smith had kind of soured on him. He may have been in the doghouse a little bit. I certainly don't want to speculate, but we saw his ice time take a major hit. And you said how you're not sure his time is ever going to come with the Senators. Why do you think Logan Brown hasn't been able to just put it together yet? Oh, it's a loaded question. Um, I, I'm not sure what overall it is. I know they've worked a ton on his skating. I think that's a big factor. Um, listen, some players just don't adjust to the NHL game enough to make it. And so we've seen it all along. I think so. I think I looked this up. The Senators have drafted 50 players in the last. I don't know, since 2013, 12, I might be off the last 50 players they've drafted. Five of them have played 100 games in the NHL. Like, not everybody pans out to be an NHL star, even at a first overall, even at a first round pick. I'm just not sure that Logan can make the adjustment and play at the NHL level. I just think his skating is not where it needs to be in order to do that. And you talk about how he looked at the beginning of the year, but and it's the same with Drake Batherson because they get a lot of ice time. If you're always on the ice and you've always got a ton of power play time, then things start to happen because these guys are highly skilled players. There's no question. But five on five is sometimes where they struggle. And I think Logan Brown was given every opportunity at the beginning of the year to try and make something happen. When you're playing first line, pretty good players to play with. And so things start to happen. I, I'm just not sure he can consistently do that on a nightly basis. That's a really good point, actually, that they look better based on the ice time they're given. And naturally playing with a Brady Kachuk is going to make somebody look better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, would just... say, I really think Drake Batherson is a hell of a hockey player, and I really mm. hope he can make the jump. But if we're talking like long-time right-side NHL star, is it him? I mean, there's been a long time that Drake has been waiting for this chance and trying to get into a lineup on a team that's not very good. I think there's got to be a time where Drake either makes the jump or it may not be his place to play. Mm -hmm. In terms of Logan Brown, um, and again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if but you're you Pierdorian, <laughs> but if you're Pierdorian and you're and you're running this team, at what point do you maybe make the decision to kind of give this kid a fresh start somewhere else? Personally, I I don't think it's that now. Yeah. Wow. I'm just not from what I've seen of of Logan in the lineup and how he's played. I I'm prepared to move on. So wow. it's, it's that simple. Like, and they can keep arguing all they want. They've given them every opportunity to, to make a spot in that lineup, and it just hasn't happened. So let's move on. Let's both find uh, a new opportunity, and let's see if he can pan out somewhere else. Do you think there's a realistic chance of that happening? Like we've seen mock trades with him like being packaged for, you know, I, I keep bringing up Sorelli, but, I mean, he's one of the top guys on the market, right? So yeah. is, is, that a, is that a deal that maybe happens? Maybe Tampa takes a first-round pick and a center prospect for an Anthony Sorelli? But, uh, maybe. The question, like, if they move Logan Brown, people, I think, have a too high an expectation of what the return value might be. And so I'm not sure what you're going to get back in return. I think it might just be a chance to move on a player as opposed to trying to get back nowhere near a first-round pick. And I'm not sure it'd be a high second either. Like, I, 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 he's had great numbers in the AHL. I'm just not sure they can translate to the NHL. So, 
I would I would just I would move on. You've got so many players, and you've talked about how they not you, but how the organization wants Shane Pinto and Josh Norris looks like a hell of a player. Those guys up the middle, and I, he doesn't get a lot of respect. I, I really like Chris Tierney. Uh, I think he's played a, a very valuable role in this team, whether it's third or fourth line. Young guy who can skate, played a ton of penalty kill, can play on the power play if need be. Uh, he, I think he gets overlooked for right now. He fills a, a valuable spot for this team. Uh, a bit of a veteran, if you will. So um, I don't know how far Shane Pinto is from playing, but I know that they're really high on him as Josh Norris as well. Does that What does that mean for a guy like Colin White? Do you think he's looking at moving to the wing then? Because that's been speculated a lot too. I just want to know what Colin White is. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just don't know what he is as a player. I, I see him probably as a winger, but he's got a contract that says that he's a top six player. I'm not sure he is. I, the year that he just went through uh, would dictate to me that he's not a top six player. He just struggled mightily and given every opportunity to try and be a top guy. And whether it was mentally, which can, I can drain on you, there's no question. I've seen how hard this game is to play mentally. I, I just don't know that he is a top six forward. And he's got a contract that kind of dictates that he should be. I, if, I, I mean, for right now, he'd be my third line winger. He's a guy who was hurt at the beginning of the year too, right? So yep. I, I do think it is kind of hard to make that value assessment because the guy goes from playing in his first year with Brady Kachuk and Mark Stone and breaking 40 points. And then last year he starts off hurt. He It kind of takes him a while to find his game again. It didn't look to me like he was ever fully recovered from that injury that he had at the beginning of the year. And he came back, I think he was expected to, what, miss three to five weeks, and he was back in, like, maybe two and a half weeks or something like that. Did you get that sense about White? Do you think maybe it's a case of a guy who was grinding through something this year? I think for a little bit, but, I mean, we haven't seen him really – at least I can't remember him really tearing it up on a grand scale of any time. So uh, I, I like, I know the organization, whether it's the coaching staff or the front office, really were expecting a lot more from Colin White, even after that he should have been healthy. And so, it, yeah, injuries play a part, but uh, like, it's it, this is an a, a team that's rebuilding and has plenty of options, and B, this is a an organization, or I should say, a a business where it's what have you done for me lately, and if you don't start to produce. Then they start to look elsewhere because there's a number of guys coming from behind that would really like to try and find a spot here on this roster. How many of those guys from Belleville do you see making the jump this year? We know it, you know, we know Norris, Batherson are probably safe bets, but what about guys like Alex Formanton and guys like Eric Brandstrom, who, you know, had really good seasons last year here and there. Formanton especially, I think he took everybody by surprise last year in Belleville. Yep. But with the with how complex it is and with the hesitance that the senators have shown to throw any of their kids into those spots. Do you see it being a year where a ton of those young guys are playing in this lineup in next year? Yeah, I no, not a ton, but I mean, we've seen so many change of guys moving into the lineup. So maybe as this rebuild continues, which it seems to be rebuilding every year, um, Alex Formington is a certainly, I, I think starts the year uh, and is given every chance to at least find a spot I think he's ready, but again, we'll have to wait and see. And then Eric Brandstrom, I, I think, is penciled in probably in the number two pairing uh, and see what he can do. I, does he need a whole lot of time to try and develop? We all know NHL defensemen take longer to develop uh, than it does for a forward. What happens with him? I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see because 
like we all talked about him being the next Eric Carlson, but I, I think now we probably start back and said, you know what, that's not going to be the case, but we hope that he's probably a top four defenseman for a while here. He's got great skill. I, mm-hmm. I remember watching him just, A, when I went to Belleville practice, and B, seeing him in practice in Ottawa. He's, he's got tremendous skill. So I think size, like if he can start to get heavier, as we saw with Carlson when he first entered the league, he was like 165 pounds and ended up being close to 190 or something by the time he left Ottawa. Like put on some, some size, I think he'll be good. One guy we haven't talked about that hasn't been talked about a lot actually is Artem Anisimov. Um, yeah. and, and we were talking about the, the kind of veteran center that they need. Uh, we, we know what Anisimov is. We know that the circumstances surrounding the Zach Smith trade and whatnot. What do you think happens with Anisimov this year? Does he get the, the Mikel Bodker treatment this year where he kind of gets sat in the press box? Or do you see him playing an active bottom six role on the team? It's a great question. I don't know where he fits. I guess it depends on what Colin White does, uh, what happens with Chris Tierney's negotiation. Like, it's an interesting dilemma. I, like, in a normal world, I don't see him fitting into this roster. But the way that they're they're built now and the way – like, he's their biggest centerman at the moment unless it's Logan Brown. But he's got size. Um, I don't think he's a tremendous skater by any stretch of the imagination. But he seems to find the net uh, when he's healthy. And so – I mean, I see him probably playing as a number three spot here for for the foreseeable future. But you, you wonder of how long I want to get some young guys in the lineup. Does he play and how much does he play? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't know what happens with the Artie party. That's for sure. One of the things we've talked about in terms of who they're going to bring in. Do you think and, and when they cut Bobby Ryan, they said it was to make room to bring in quality young players. Do you buy that or do you see them going more of the route of those aging guys or those with big contracts or those long-term injury or injury reserve deals? I, I think you'll see some contracts being acquired for sure. But I, I mean, I guess the Bobby buyout allows them to give Drake Batherson a full-time spot with uh, Connor Brown on that right side. But I, they just, I, so if they're going to do, let's see here, Bobby Ryan, Let's go Josh Norris and Connor Brown is your first line. I'm just throwing names. And Formanton, Colin White, and Drake Batherson on your second. Like, that's a really young group of players. I just don't see how you can go into the NHL season as that is your top six. It's just I think you're going to get eaten alive. And so they they have some decisions to make. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot. I think there's a lot of change that's supposed to transpire here this season just based on the number of bodies, all the same age. They've got to find a way to start move some of these pieces out. It's definitely going to be a new look Senators team when the season starts. Let's talk about the draft because that's, I think, the thing that's on the forefront of everybody's minds. We've said it exhaustively. You've covered the team since 98. Is this the biggest draft that you've ever been a part of in Ottawa or is there another one that kind of compares to you? No, I... I mean, there's the Jason Spezza draft just because of the trade at the time of Alexi Yashin, who was, you know, at one point the Hart Trophy finalist and was the captain and so much had transpired and they've now got a second overall pick. That was a pretty big deal. But the year they had three first overall picks, no one really, or three first round picks, no one really got overly excited. Um, I, I mean, yeah, this has to be, this is one of the biggest drafts I've seen for teams in a long time, period. I mean, you, when you go back to the Islanders of the, Rick DiPietro eras when they drafted two in the top five uh, as a team. So 
this is a transformative season, no question. It's not just who they pick, it's what they do with those pieces, which basically are like trading pieces and bargaining chips. Uh, there's no, I, I just say it again, like I, I just can't for the life of me fathom them drafting 13 players. So there's going to be some movement somehow, somewhere. What they do with it is the interesting part. And they've got a plan. I really like Trent Mann. I think Trent Mann has done a, a pretty good job and he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. Uh, I like what he's brought to the organization. I think he's pretty smart. And so we'll see what they've come up with and if they make any surprises. And if you've got 13 guys somehow slated to be picked, you know that the Sens at some point are going to go off the board. We've talked about how, how just how transformative, like you said, I think that's a great word, uh, how, how important this draft is for the future of this team. There have been people that have said this draft in particular, like this moment in time, is going set to the, set the tone for this franchise and kind of chart their trajectory for the next 10 years or so. I don't know if I buy into that because we've seen how quickly things can change, right? Like the Boston Bruins were eliminated by this Ottawa team in the first round three years ago. Since then, they've been to a Stanley Cup final, a cup that they should have won, and they could have realistically gone back this year if things hadn't changed. Uh, do you do you buy into that theory that this is gonna be that this draft is gonna have those long term ramifications? No, no, because you have no. So if if that were the case, then is it 2011? They had the three first overall, three first round picks. I think it is. That didn't set this organization up, uh, and, and we can talk about that being a transformative draft for this for this franchise. If you got three first round picks, that didn't do the same. You the thing is, you have no idea. If one of those picks is going to blow out a knee, is going to be in contract negotiations where he's not happy, uh, something transpires and we see that he, you know him and the coach don't get along, any of that stuff can transpire where guys get moved out. And so, no, I, I just think that you have no idea. This is just a shot at it and you see what happens. Like I said, there's of all the players they've drafted in the last six years or seven years, Five of them have, out of 50 have played 100 games so far. Like it's, it's a tough thing to make the NHL, and it's not a lot of players that end up doing it. We know that they're going to take one of Quinton Byfield or Tim Stutzel at number three. That's a foregone conclusion at this point. Do you have a sense of who they're going to take at number five? Like we've heard Lucas Raymond's been <laughs> thrown around. You know, you uh, know, it, it's like you said, they always go off the board. So, so who really knows? But if you had to put your money down on one guy, who do you think it would be? So. Uh, I guess it's, I'll go with two, but the interesting thing is, and I, I'm sure everybody's seen the tweets and the stuff by now, but when Trent Mann was asked the other day, which I, I think was on a Tuesday, um, what he thought of Jack Quinn, he answered it quickly about Jack's a good player, 52 goals, certainly an elite player, but then he, on his own and unprompted, went to Lucas Raymond, but we really like Lucas Raymond and Lucas Raymond and whatever, and he also brought up... Um, the leading scorer in the Western Hockey League right now, and I can't think of his name. Um, so interesting that he went off on his own to mention Lucas Raymond and how much basically he's seen of him. Um, so I, I, reading between the lines, you think Lucas Raymond is probably the fifth round, fifth overall pick. But now I, 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 I heard Nick Kiprios the other day, and I'm sure everybody else has about that he's heard that Melnick wants to acquire Askarov at five, the goalie. And I'm like, that's possible. Like I, I've seen people ask general managers to do lots of stuff who will the hockey team. So that's, I mean, I won't say no to that. I, I, if if Nick Kiprios is bringing it up, I don't think he's just pr pulling it out of the sky. And so 
Um, that's an interesting one. I, I wouldn't be shocked suddenly if he's drafted fifth overall. I hate to even ask you this, but do you think Eugene Melnick has that much say on the draft floor? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's his team. He can do what he wants for sure. We all know <laughs> that he doesn't sit back in his office or something and just counts money. Like, no, like he, he is actively involved. And I've always known that since he's taken over that he's been actively involved. And so like he, he was the driving force to acquire Alexei Kovalev. Like there's been times where he's like, I want this player. And so if the owner tells you, I want this player, then you pretty much do what you're told. Yeah, no, that, that, that does make sense. Now, what do you think would make them trade down at five? Like we know they've since come out and said we're, you know, the speculation now has kind of shifted to them not trading that pick. Uh, what, what do you think happens where the Sens make that deal? Like for me, and this is just based on my interpretation of how things have gone for them, I kind of feel like if Lucas Raymond isn't there at five, maybe they trade down and they take that Askarov or they take a Sanderson or they take a chance on a guy like Quinn. Um, what do you think makes Pierre Dorian make that move and trade down that fifth overall pick? Yeah, it's, I mean, great question. I, I, and I think he kind of, and it was Trent Mann who threw it out more or less that the Sens were prepared for anything that could possibly happen. And if someone calls, we're going to be ready for it. I think they kind of threw it out just to see what kind of reaction they would get. Um, and so two days later, whatever it is, Pierre Dorian says, ah, we're 99% sure we're going to take that fifth pick. So uh, what they would do to trade down, that's a great question. I don't know why, why like, I don't know why you would if you can't guarantee that that player is going to be there. You'd have to have some kind of writing and you'd certainly have to get I would think you'd have to get a, a star player, like, and I say star, like a top six back in return uh, to put in your roster or a top four defenseman or whatever it is. Um, they're going to have to pay a price just to get that pick for sure. What do you think happens with 28? Because I've got a feeling that they're not picking 28. Do you no, think they're, they're going to, yeah. Do you think they're going to move that pick or do you think they hang on to it? See that, so because they've got seven in the top 70 or whatever it is, um, all of them are in play. So maybe maybe they do end up with 28 because they're suddenly moving two of their second round picks or maybe it's 28 in a second. Like there's so many options for them. I feel like it's an expansion draft almost for the Ottawa Senators um, because they have so many pieces. I think, I, uh, I think they move it. I certainly, there's been so much talk of them being able to make moves because there's so many pieces for them to select from. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it's not there for sure. They've they've never really come out and said, oh, we've got three first-round picks. It's always been we've got two in the top five, and they kind of ignore the other pick. At this point, too, it is almost kind of a glorified second-round pick with how well the Islanders did, right? Sure. And And they've spoken at length about how they feel like they're going to be able to get quality players all the way up to the end of the third round. Um, so Alleg it, what's that? Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, right? yes. Like, we have no idea what's going to be in the draft. Of course. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, but no, 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 that's okay. Um, as far as a potential return for that 28th overall pick, do you think there's anything in particular they would use it to target? Like we talked about how it's probably not the best course of action to use it on a goaltender, but could you see them going out and getting a right-handed defenseman or a top six center with that pick? Yeah, I mean, Brandon, because there's so many holes, right? right. So. They've got they've just got options all over the place. So if they can't get 
the right-handed defenseman they want from a certain team that maybe it's the center they get from some other team. Like they just, this is one, this is a hard draft, I think, to predict from an Ottawa perspective because so much can transpire over one simple little phone call and one move to move 28. Then what are you doing with the rest? Are you keeping all the second round picks? And now the price either fluctuates, goes up or down. Maybe they can get more for that second pick, second round pick they weren't expecting. Like it just, there's so much that can transpire. I, I have no idea of how this one's going to play out. It'll certainly be interesting to follow for sure. We keep um, talking about the holes in this lineup, and I think that's I think that's the most glaring thing about this team is, yeah, the draft picks are great. It's great to add so many young players, but at some point you need guys who can play in the NHL right now yep. and insulate these kids. The Senators have 16 guys in the organization that need new deals. Uh, it feels to me like a foregone conclusion that a guy like Connor Brown is going to be coming back. Uh, maybe on a, not maybe a long-term contract, but a, a few years on it. It kind of feels to me like Anthony Duclair will be back. Like, who do you see for sure being an Ottawa Senator again next season? And who do you think are some of the guys that maybe we won't see again next year? I don't think Ron Hainsey's back. I believe his house is for sale, so we could start there. Um, that's a great question. I, I mean, Connor Brown is RFA, as, as is Duclair and Tierney. I mean, I think they're all back, but if it's a tough negotiation or like for Tierney or if it goes to arbitration and there's some hard feelings out of it, I can see them moving Chris Tierney for sure. Um, I do think they need to have top six players. So I see Duclair and Brown both returning. The Brown one's it's a short deal. I think he gets a long-term deal, but we'll uh, see how that plays out. Maybe they don't want to give up years of unrestricted free agency. I'm not you sure. Think it's, you think it's maybe like an eight-year deal then for Connor Brown? I can see it being five or six, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. I, I think the number that's been thrown around is kind of four by four uh, in terms of projection or something like that. But in my mind, and maybe maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about here. There's probably a good chance of that. But <laughs> a guy like Colin White makes $4.75 million a year. Does Connor Brown look at the, that contract and say, I'm not taking less than that guy? And see, that's the problem. The, co the Colin White contract is a terrible contract to try and negotiate around. So if you're Connor Brown, yeah, you're not a 20-goal scorer and you may not be you know, a, a first-round pick, but Connor Brown had a fairly good season and is extremely highly regarded by the coaching staff. They love Connor Brown, to put it mildly. So I think, and I think it's higher than four. I think they're asking close to Colin White numbers, and I believe the, or, the, the organization and the player are far apart on a deal. I think the same is for... Chris Tierney, and I'm not sure Anthony Duclair, but my feeling is all the guys that are starting to contract negotiations have certainly been low in the offer coming from the organization as of right now, but that's negotiations, and I don't expect to be any different, right? It just, that's the way it plays out. I, I think they'll likely end up going to arbitration with Chris Tierney, but we shall see. I think that's probably a two-year, one-year deal. I would think probably two years, but um, I'm not sure how much they're going to get uh, in the Chris Tierney deal. I, and I think it's a low ball offer from what I understand at this, at this point. So negotiations will be interesting with this team and to see how they go. But I think the, the Connor Brown one certainly gets done. But that Colin White contract, is a, I think it's a handcuff for the organization. What about some of the younger guys? Um, and again, I'm reading into things here, reading between the lines. A guy like Rudolph Balsers, it's really interesting to me that he's one of the only young European players that hasn't been loaned overseas. 
is that a guy they maybe use as a trade chip or do you see him coming back next year? But there's a, like, I look at that and there's a bunch of guys in the bottom six that are kind of, I won't say the same type of player, but they're all in the same group. So we're not expecting these guys to be top six players. Like, I'm not sure we expect Rudolph Bolsters to be a top six guy or Nick Paul, JC Baudin, Baudin, uh, I mean, there's Pekka, like there's a, a bunch of guys that are just kind of in that group, which can be interchangeable. We've seen so many players be put in those spots. I, I'm not sure that, you know, they could keep bolsters, I guess, on the wing and play them. The same with like Philip Schlappick. But I think that those guys can be moved out left and right. I, I'm just not sure that there's a whole lot of uh, excitement to keep those guys in the lineup. And I'm not saying they're bad players. I just don't think that they have necessarily a spot for sure that this guy's got to be the fourth line left winger. They can find someone else to put there if they need to. Yeah, I think maybe the guy who probably earned that uh, that deal to come back next year is a, is a Nick Paul. Uh, but as far as a Balsers goes, like he's an intriguing option to me as as a trade chip, right? Um, there were some rumors kind of flying around around the initial Matt Murray speculation that Ottawa had kind of offered him their way. Uh, again, I don't know if there's any credibility to that whatsoever, but it, but that seems like it's a good option for me. And when you and that's an interesting point that you bring up about having all these guys that project as those third fourth line players. I think one guy that people have asked a lot about um, is a Jace Harlock. I think he impressed a lot of people in the short time that he had here. Is that a guy who comes back next year in, in your mind? Because I believe he is RFA, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, Ottawa has, I think, three forwards signed for next year. Um, three. three is the number. It, it could be. It could be Jace. But again, like I just think that they're all interchangeable. Yeah, he's a, he'd be a great fourth-line player. I don't have anything against him. I just think that... If you want a young guy to play in that spot or if you want someone else to play there, fine. Like, I'm not going to go to bed at night going, oh, Jace Howlick better play in that fourth line spot. I, so I just think that they've got guys they can plug and play. And if it's Jace, great. If not, well, they just move on and find somebody else. Brent, thank like, you here's again. my question to you, Brandon. Yeah, shoot. Nick, Paul, Jace Howlick. Who do you t- I honestly I don't, don't know. know. I, 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 I think... I think Nick Paul probably um, just from the sense that that's a guy who's grown up in the system and he has developed a little bit better over the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know. Like, how, how do you feel about that? Like, See, it doesn't matter to me. They're one of this, like, yeah. right? So that's what I'm saying that you've got guys that you're like, well, if it's not Nick Paul and it's Jason, okay. If it's Jason, not Nick, okay. Like, it's just, it, 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 the top six is really where people get worked up and get animated about and, until they really start to build that top six, the bottom six is just going to be probably a mismatch uh, year after year until it gets settled out. Thank you again. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know we're going a little over time here. One thing that I think really people want to know about is a Brady Kachuk contract extension. And <laughs> I think it seems to me like it's not going to be the same situation as a Thomas Shabbat thing where it gets done and it gets done early. What do you think happens with Brady? Does he sign next year? Does he sign at all? Does he does he take offer sheets? Does he go to arbitration? Like it seems like there's so many variables about how this could go, and I think there's a lot less optimism among the fans than there was about Shabbat. That's yeah, that one is. I mean, it's a great question. I it certainly can't go as easy as Thomas Shabbat. I I just think that you. I would I would suspect. If you're Brady Kachuk, you want more money than Thomas Shabbat. And I and I think that's fair. Now, is the organization about to pay that right now with 
a flat cap and with trying just to get to the cap floor, like let's let's call it what it is. This organization isn't flowing with cash coming out of its pockets left and right. So what they do with Brady Kachuk is certainly interesting. Does Brady Kachuk necessarily want to play here through the growing pains of what they've got? He can say yes all he wants because his buddy Josh Norris is here and he's grown up with Colin White and Thomas Shabbat. But at the end of the day, this is your career and it's all about you when you're signing a contract. So how upset is he that Mark Stone was traded and all this stuff? There's a lot that plays into it. I really like Brady Kachuk, and I think he's a fantastic player and an excellent person. And I hope he would stay here for eight years to come and sign the max. But I'm not sure that this is going to just simply be, here's what we're going to give you, Brady, or what do you want, Brady, and let's just give it to you. I I, I think there's going to be some drawn-out contract talks. But I, I could be wrong. Is it as much of a disaster as it seems if they can't get a long-term deal done? Or even worse, God forbid, he ends up somewhere else. Like, is that... You know, we've been through so much. We've seen Eric Carlson go. We've seen Mark Stone go. Daniel Alferton twice. Is Brady just the atomic bomb on this organization if he ends up somewhere else? Why can't we just end on a positive note, Brandon? Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be uh, – that'd certainly be a kick in the teeth for sure. Like, losing uh, – I, I, you know what? I can't. I haven't even thought of it because I just can't imagine the organization would even – venture to go down that road especially right now um how long that deal is that's interesting like i i can't imagine them not trying to get him to eight and what he would not take to sign eight so that's one i i can't wait to see play out i i don't even know where they're at in negotiations i know it's been pretty quiet so i just don't know how much influence a does matthew have based on what he's gone through uh in Calgary just on doing deals. And I don't mean that as like, let's come play in Calgary. I just mean as a feather, a fellow player and be uh, what his dad has to say and how he sees uh, Brady's contract playing out. Like Brady's got a pretty good camp around him to, to sort this all out. And I, I'd be interested to see just how this, this goes down, but I can't imagine under any circumstances they let him get away. 22 years covering this team and you're asking me why we can't end on a positive note. You know, you know why. <laughs> I knew the answer. I know. I don't know why I did this to myself. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that the, the couple, well, among the few things that could really derail what looks like a promising rebuild uh, would be losing a Brady or would be somehow a bunch of these players not panning out in this upcoming draft. Brent Wallace, before I let you go, I want to ask you, in the next 10 years, do the Ottawa Senators win the Stanley Cup? Not a fair question, I know, but I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it. I can only go based on historical past, so I will say no. I have no reason to think at this particular point in time they're a Stanley Cup contending team in five years. I just I don't see it yet, um, and it may happen as things transpire through this season, which I think is obviously pivotal. But right now, I do not see them winning a Stanley Cup in 10 years. I think that's totally fair. I think that might rub some people the wrong way. But I, but I think you're right. Like, look at the great teams that, have, that we've seen in the past. The 2003 team that didn't win the Stanley Cup. The 2006 team where one adductor probably robbed them of a Stanley Cup. Even 2007, that team that it felt like the team of destiny for a little bit. Like, it felt like that was finally going to be the year. And it wasn't. 2017. <laughs> Is there a doubt in your mind that they beat the Nashville Predators in the Stanley Cup final? There isn't for me. You know, I, I really think they win the Stanley Cup if they, if Chris Kunitz doesn't score that overtime goal. Yeah. Um, 
But so, they had right being there, though. We forget that no, Ottawa yeah. barely should have even been in that playoff. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I always look at that one differently, going how amazing it was that they got on that run based on the emotional lift they got from certain players, whether it's Bobby Ryan or Cole Anderson uh, and whatnot, that they really started to bond together. That one was a more of a a positive for me, although everybody sees it as that really we were within a goal of being a cup final. The fact they were even anywhere near there was shocking to me. Especially with the Carlson injury and all the other circumstances that were in play and, and the way they played the next year, for God's sake. I feel like maybe we should end on a positive note, Brent. So before I let you go, I want to ask you, 22 years, 1998, what's your favorite memory covering the Ottawa Senators? Oh, great question. A, uh, I've never actually stopped and thought about it. Um, I've had a lot of fun covering them. Obviously, just being around certain moments, like the most emotional, the Bobby Ryan return game, uh, where I I nearly got as choked up as Bobby, and I've never been able to to forget it. I mean, that was one of those special moments that you'll never forget. Um, seeing them in Buffalo, uh, winning Game Five and advancing to the uh, Stanley Cup Final uh, with Alfie, um, that one was pretty good. Um, there's been, I mean, the outdoor game, uh, although it was whatever it was, was pretty neat and s- to see that transpire and, and how cold it was. Um, but that was also when the entire wheels fell off this organization, I feel like, um, on Parliament Hill. Uh, so I'm going to go with probably 03, uh, Eastern Conference final. I think it's, it's 03, right? And they go to the, no, would have been 07. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Uh, team in 03, though, should that that was the team. If before, there was ever a team, that was the one. Before my time, but I mean, looking back on it, yeah. Like, you, you know, we you have guys. So, we were so spoiled. Like, I get to the, mm-hmm. I get here. They had just finished, I think, winning the uh, their first time ever winning a playoff round, or they got into round two, uh, lost. I can't remember if that was the Pittsburgh one. Anyway, that was 97. And then 98 on, like, this was the dominant hockey team that would lead the league in scoring. And it was, wouldn't be able to give up a goal. Jacques Martin had them playing so well. We were spoiled for like 10 straight years. Uh, it was really something to watch here for a long time. Yeah, you look at that lineup and you have guys like Mike Fisher, who became so key to the team playing, you know, third, fourth line minutes. So, you know, they were so insulated with those guys like Havlat and Hosa and Chara on the blue line. Yeah, like it's ridiculous. It's not fair. And that's after they traded Yashin, who was, you know, a bona fide at, at least very close to 100-point guy. Uh, TSN Ottawa Bureau reporter Brent Wallace, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Like I said, we've gone overtime here. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know people were very excited to hear from you, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, sir. Uh, thank you. I will respond to uh, one of your comments. That, um, they want to know if I answered my phone with my son. <laughs> and I can only tell you that I don't, but... Um, when my kids were really young and we just had gotten, uh, or PVRs were just in, in, uh, being invented, whatever. Um, my kids would go up and kiss the TV when they saw me on it, or sometimes they'd run behind the TV to see if I was there. And so we had to get a PVR so we could pause the TV. Cause if one person got to kiss the TV and the other one didn't, there was hell to pay. Um, they used to think my name, if you say, what's your daddy's name? They would say Brent Wallace, TSN Ottawa. And so I was like, okay, I've been away way too long. This is not a good sign. See 
There's the positive note we needed to end on. We found <laughs> it after all. Uh, did you want to plug your social media? So I, I know everyone who's listening to this probably follows you already, but in case they aren't. Uh, you can find me uh, everywhere, I guess. Uh, TSN underscore Wally on uh, Twitter and uh, TSN Wally on Instagram where I don't like to post too many pictures on Twitter. I just find it's not for that purpose. And so if you want to see some pictures of my dog, um, you can follow that too. Thank you so much again for coming on. Folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, and rate five stars. All that fun stuff. It's like I said before, we've got an absolutely stacked weekend of content coming up. The Athletics' Haley Salvian is going to join the show on Sunday. And then we've got Colin and Ari from Silver 7 Sends coming up on Tuesday. So look out for those episodes. Find the time to listen to this podcast. You're not going to regret it. We've got some people much smarter than me coming on. Thank you again for listening. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and take care, everybody.